I got stuff. If you got your Bibles, hope you do. Uh, turn with me to the the New Testament book of First Corinthians. If you don't have a Bible, uh, and there's some that are in the seat back uh, there in front of you. You could grab one. Uh, if uh, you're a little bit new to Bible study, uh, the book of First Corinthians is in the second half of the Bible that we refer to as the the New Testament. Uh, you'll find uh, the first four books there are named after the guys who wrote the books: Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Keep going a few more books, and you'll get to Acts, Romans, and then to 1 Corinthians. Corinth uh, was the name of a city uh, during the New Testament that Paul, the early leader of the church, writes this letter to them to help them to understand what it looks like to, to live as a church family, helps them to understand what it looks like to practice our faith together. And, and today we're going to be practicing part of a, a, a long-standing uh, activity of the church, and that is the Lord's Supper. Uh, this is something that uh, Jesus himself instituted uh, on the night that he was betrayed and was arrested and then went through a series of illegal trials of the Romans and the Jewish leaders and, and then was crucified for our sins. And ever since that time, uh, the church has always practiced this, uh, though at times it can in the life of church feel uh, ritualistic, or this is one of those things that several times a year we need to check the box and say that we've done this. Uh, this is an incredible moment uh, that we have. It's an incredible opportunity uh, that we get to practice something that we hear directed from Jesus that we do this. And then additionally, we are practicing something that billions of other Christians have been practicing uh, for almost two millennia, and, and that even now, during the last 24-hour period, that there are hundreds and hundreds of millions of Christians that have done this exact same thing. And, and so we are participating with the church historically and the church globally uh, to remember the King eternal. Uh, and, and that really is what the Lord's Supper is all about. It's about remembering. And so, uh, and so I, I thought about that as I was walking up here because in my pocket uh, I brought books with me because I'm getting ready to go on vacation uh, this afternoon. Uh, can somebody say amen to that? Uh, yes. And so I had books in my office, and I always carry my cell phone everywhere I go, and I've got truck keys and... Uh, something to clean my glasses and mints because people get up close to my face and I don't want to offend you. And then there are those keys and then there are my wallet. And then uh, I always carry with me the series of papers on Sunday mornings that remind me about what's in the bulletin and the order of service. And oh, there are these blue sheets that are out in the lobbies that'll tell you about the two guys, Claude McGavick and Richard Wood, that are being nominated to serve as active deacons. And then I have my Bible. And some of you are always so very kind to think that I've memorized this entire uh, sermon that I do every week, but that's really a lie because I actually have my notes rubber banded here in my Bible. I hide them there. And so, and, and then, because I constantly need reminding of things, and, and not everybody in the church always notices, but if you'll look right back there on the front of the balcony, there's a big uh, video screen just like these that actually serve as reminders for what it is that we're supposed to be doing, and there's each, even a countdown timer on there, which generally I ignore, as you are well aware. 
All of these things serve as this purpose of reminding us about what is important or what is next or what is it that somebody else needs for us to do. That's very much what the Lord's Supper is all about. Here in, in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul writes to the early church to help them to be reminded about what this is all about. So let me begin at verse 23, and I'm going to read down through verse 29. He said, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you on the night when he was betrayed. The Lord took bread, and when he had given thanks, broke it, and said, This is my body, which is for you, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself in this way. Uh, in this way, let him eat the bread and drink the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Uh, let me pray and then uh, give to you a few ideas out of this passage that I think will be helpful for us. Father, uh, we have come into this place... Uh, we've come to Bible study life groups. Uh, Lord, we have sat with friends, and we have prayed, and we have laughed, and uh, maybe there's even been a few moments where tears were shed as people uh, were willing to carry the burdens of friends, uh, both old and new. Lord, we've gathered into this room to sing, to hear about ministry being done in our community, to, uh, all with uh, one particular purpose, and that is we want to make a really big deal out of Jesus. We want Him to be famous. We want Him to be supreme in our lives. Lord, we want to be people of faith that trust Him in the difficult moments that we encounter, and we want to give You all the credit and honor and glory for every victory that we might experience. And Lord, now into this moment, uh, we ask that Your Holy Spirit would unveil the truth of Your infallible Word in our lives, so that as we uh, come to participate in this uh, age-old practice of the Lord's Supper, uh, that we could do so in such a way uh, that it would be worship, not just practice, not just ritual, but worship. For it's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. This is a passage that, uh, in general, uh, we turn to very often. There's only a few passages in the New Testament that describe the Lord's Supper to us. And, and so in that, we are very blessed that, that God is very focused in, in His desire for us to understand this. Out of this particular set of verses that I read, I want to just quickly give to you five different ideas as to how we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Number one, uh, you've already heard me begin to talk about it as I've uh, strewn all of these things out on the table here, and that is remembrance. Uh, the very first part of what the Lord's Supper is about is remembrance. When, when Paul is describing what it is that he has received from the Lord, and he means this in the sense that we have the gospel writings of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We have these gospel writers who have given us the account 
of the first Lord's Supper, the last supper that Jesus shares with his apostles in this Passover meal, which was a, a, a religious festival meal that the Jewish people had been celebrating uh, for over uh, 1,500 years at that point. Uh, he says, what I have received from the Lord I'm passing on to you. And at every point along there when it's uh, that you, you eat the bread or you take the cup, you do it in remembrance of Jesus. It is a, an important distinction that we have to hold in our mind. That, uh, in, a, in a few moments when we pass these plates uh, up and down the, uh, uh, the rows and you take a little cracker of unleavened bread and then we pass these plates of these little plastic cups and you take a little cup of, uh, of grape juice, uh, it, it is, uh, these are substances that you can go to the grocery store, uh, you can go to a, a bookstore, uh, you, you can go online, you can buy all of this. Uh, this is, these are normal, terrestrial kind of things. It's just little crackers and little grape juice. Now, there's nothing magic about them. Uh, they, they are symbolic of something, though, that is eternal. It is, the, it, it, is the, it is a physical representation that reminds us of an eternal consequence that Jesus bore on our behalf. And so it reminds us, and so in those moments, when we get to this point here shortly, where the ushers have passed the plate down your particular row, and you're holding on to the cracker, or you're holding on to the juice cup, there is this temptation very humanly that we have, because, you know, we're all just kind of big kids, that we just want the rest of the rows behind us to hurry up. All right? I'm having to wait for all of these other people. I'm holding my cracker while I'm waiting for all these people behind me to, to get this done. I want to encourage you to not give in to that impulse, but instead for you to take this as a beautiful moment while you're holding that cracker or you're holding that cup of juice and be reminded and remember about what it is the great cost and the great sacrifice that Jesus has made for us. This is, this is why we do this. We don't just do it so that we've all done it at the same time on a quarterly basis as a Southern Baptist church, because that's what Southern Baptist churches kind of generally do. But instead, this is a moment where you, you, you mull over it, you ruminate over it, you meditate on this deep fact of the eternal redemptive history that God has dropped us in the middle of that I get to remember that this is what Jesus has done for me. I remember that His body has been given for me, that His blood has been shed for me. I remember this. A uh, second way that we celebrate the Lord's Supper is through thanksgiving. Uh, and and he, it says here in, in verse 24, uh, after that Jesus took the bread, it says, and when He had given thanks, He broke it. It was a common feature to the Passover meal. It was a common feature in the homes of the Hebrews of the ancient world. It is likely common to many of our homes that before a meal, we give thanks. So somebody offers a prayer of thanksgiving for what it is that we have. And Jesus gives thanks at this point of the meal, knowing 
that the bread that he is about to tear asunder and hand out to the guys around the table, that it represents his own body that is going to be tortured on a Roman cross in the very worst kind of way to be executed in the ancient world. And he's going to give thanks for this. He's going to give thanks because he knows the victory that's on the other side of it. Now, there is a portion, and I'll speak about this in a moment, there's a portion of this experience that we have together that is somber, that, could, that should come with, with a certain amount of, of quiet, kind of reverence, and kind of huddling up your soul before the Lord. But there is also a part of this that is to be celebratory, that we are thanking the God of the universe who is the judge of the living and the dead, who is the standard of righteousness because of who He is. There's not some other standard of righteousness that He has to attain to. God is the standard of righteousness. And that this God who has created the heavens and the earth, who on His own decides what is sin and what is not sin, what is right and what is not right, that this God who is utterly and completely just has stepped out from behind the judicial bench and has paid the penalty for all of our sin, which he did not need to, he did not have to, he was not compelled to, but he does this out of his, his, out of his being that is filled with grace and mercy and love for his creation. And so this is a moment where you don't have to just sit there somber-faced. If a smile creeps across your face, that's a really good thing. It's a really excellent thing for us to give thanks to God for the fact that this is what Christ has done on our behalf, that we celebrate this moment. It is why I will say to you, if you're a parent that maybe you've got kids that are younger that are sitting somewhere nearby you, or you've got a friend who's with you today that is not yet a believer, this is, this is not a time where you have to be utterly silent, but this is a time where you can actually lean over to a person and, and discuss this matter with them about the celebratory nature and the wondrous beauty that is the gospel so that we will all participate in it. A third thing that happens here when we celebrate the Lord's Supper is expectation. It says that there in verse 26, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Let me just focus on that last phrase for a second, and I'll come back to the earlier part of the verse. You proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper, it is the remembrance of something that happened almost 2,000 years ago. This is something that happened a long, long time ago. We are thinking back through history about what Jesus did. But as we practice it, it is something that we do with the expectation that the King is going to return, that He's going to show back up that all of this world with all of its injustices and all of its problems and all of its pains and all of the diagnosis that you didn't want and all of the relational tears that you didn't want to experience and, and all of the financial crises that come your way and all of the unexpected temptations that plop down in front of you and every assault and assailant that you've had to deal with and every accusation that you've had from our adversary and the world in general, all of these things that go wrong that we celebrate this with the expectation that the king is going to return and he's going to make everything right. 
He's going he's to arrive with justice in his hand, and he is going to restore everything to its perfect status again. He is going to make things right. And so we celebrate the Lord's Supper knowing that there's an end to the story where, where the king shows back up. It's not just that he's left us to our own devices. He's just left us to figure it out and to make things as best as we can in the meantime. But rather, he has made this great promise that we live with this daily expectation that at any moment the skies could split open and Jesus could make his return, that he could call his church home, that he could close the books on history, that he could end it all in just a blink of an eye if he so chose, that we expect that the king is returning to come get his people. And so we can celebrate that. And then also, though, and within this same verse, is a fourth way that we celebrate the Lord's Supper, and that is through proclamation. It says there again in verse 26, For as often as you... And remember, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. This is a moment where everybody is participating in the proclamation of the gospel. This is a moment where we're all preaching the sermon together. Uh, This is a way that we as the church body, both locally and universally, proclaim to the world that there is something that we believe about Jesus. That this is not just something that we think that he was a really good guy, and he was a a nice model for life, or even that he had some kind of spark of divinity, and he did some magic tricks along the way of helping blind people see and lame people walk, and even brought a, a dead person back to life. But rather, this is us proclaiming to the world that, yes, we actually completely, utterly believe that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God, who is God the Son incarnated on the earth, who dies in the place of sinners, goes physically into the grave, dead is buried, and three days rises from the dead. We believe that. We believe that the Bible says that if you will put your faith in His resurrection power, that if you will repent of your sins, declare Him to be King of your life, that you will be saved, that you will inherit salvation from God, that you will receive forgiveness of your sins, you will receive eternal life with Him in heaven. This is what we're proclaiming. This is not pass the plate, get the cracker, eat it, ugh, it doesn't taste good. Because it doesn't, because it's unleavened. Get the little cup, drink it. It's not enough juice to actually wash out the bad taste of the bad-tasting cracker out of your mouth. You're going to need to get to the water fountain later. That it's more than just this ritual of going through this thing because mom and dad went through it, grandma and grandpa went through it, the church has always done it, so we always do it. But rather, this is done as I, I, I consume this cracker, I drink this juice, in this time of worship with my church family because I want my voice and my life to join the chorus of the church that says to a community and to the world and to all of human history, we believe this. This is is the gospel 
in, in, in an object lesson form. This is the gospel on display that we are telling you the body of Christ has been sacrificed for you, the blood of Christ has been poured out upon you for the remission and the removal and the covering of your sins. This is what we believe. And then finally, number five, another way that we celebrate the Lord's Supper finally is through examination. It says here in verses 27, 28, and 29, it gives a warning, and a warning that all of us need to heed. He says, so then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against. Now, now what is your sin against? The body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself in this way. Let him eat the bread and drink the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is an incredible opportunity for you to have a significant change in your life right now. That before you partake of the Lord's Supper, before the plates are passed, before you reach in and get a cracker or a cup of juice, before all of that happens... You submit your soul before the Holy Spirit of God in order for Him to help you examine your life. Now, I will warn you, do not try to examine your life on your own without the aid of the Holy Spirit, because we, our hearts, are deceitfully wicked, the Bible tells us. No man can know it. Uh, we will justify, we will find excuse, we will make reasons for every ill act that we do, every little white lie we tell, every bit of rage that we have, we will find a reason why it's okay in that circumstance, which is why we need the, the help of the Holy Spirit to say to the Holy Spirit, would you come and help me examine my life because I want to come before this moment in a worthy manner because it says, if you don't, you are eating and drinking judgment upon yourself. Essentially, you are making a profanity out of this practice against God. If you come before Him saying, well, I got sin in my life, but it's my sin and it's my business, and I'm not going to repent or ask for forgiveness over it, I don't need all of that. You, you are missing the point. Here is the moment where all of those all of those misdeeds in your life, all of those things you've hidden from a spouse or, fr or from your friends, all of those things that you've harbored in your heart, whether it's anger or bitterness or frustration, or it's this place where you have tipped over and you're just, you're just ready to shake your fist at God because you're just mad at the whole universe and you're mad at Him. This is the moment that you can examine your life and say, God, I am ready once again I, am, I, I want to renew my faith. I want to put my faith in you. I want to trust you for the future. I want to trust you with my life. I want to trust you with my heart, with my soul, with my mind. This is a place to examine yourself. And, and I will say, as your friend, so as a friend, but then also as the guy who's the resident theologian here who's supposed to know what all of this stuff means, good luck. Um, no, I would not say good luck. I wouldn't just say, you know, just, you know, whatever. Just, you know, take it. It'll be fine. It's no big deal. It's just a religious practice. I would say quite the opposite. This is serious business. Now, Paul has told the early church, if you do this in an unworthy manner, you're drinking judgment against yourself. And so I, here's what I would say to you as a friend, is that if there is sin in your life, 
that you refuse to give up, that you, have, you, you willfully are saying, I'm not going to give it up, or you find yourself in a position here today where you say, you know, I, I came into worship, I'm glad that I'm here, I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad I'm hearing this message about who God is, about who Jesus is, that He loves me, but I'm not a Christian and I'm not ready to become a Christian. If you find yourself in one of those positions, you're not a Christian or you are a Christian and you've got sin in your life that you're not willing to give up, I want to encourage you as a friend that when the cups and the, and the plates of crackers are passed by that you not participate. That, that you be reverent, uh, that you be humble, that you be somber, but this is not the time for you to participate. Instead, it's the time for you to reflect upon what it is that is holding you away from this redemptive relationship with Christ. Now, what I want to do is lead you in a moment of prayer where you will say, no, 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 I want the redemptive relationship with Christ. I, that's what I want. I want that forgiveness that Christ is offering to me freely because He paid the price. And then you can celebrate with joy and with gladness and with thanksgiving and with an expectation that the king who came once and died on our behalf is going to return again so that we might have eternal life with him forever personally in, in the heavenlies. This is an opportunity not to practice something religiously. This is an opportunity for you to experience something eternally. And so let me lead us in a few moments of prayer and give you the opportunity to make, the, make sure you've got everything settled with you and with Christ so that you can come before this moment in a way that, that Paul would say, that's the worthy manner. Uh, that's the worthy, humble kind of manner that my people come before the celebration of my broken body and my spilt blood so that they could worship and they could celebrate and they can enjoy the redemption that they have received. Uh, will you bow your heads with me? Let's take a few moments to pray together.